Um, so yeah, good evening. My name is, is Bernie, and it, it's always great to be uh, back here with you uh, here on Sunday nights. I, I really enjoy our times together. I don't know if you enjoy your time with me, but I really enjoy my time with you. So it's, it's great to be uh, with you again. But um, before we, we get into tonight, I have a confession. A, um, something I, I don't tell many people at, at all, and it's kind of like a, a nagging fear if you will. And it's the fear of living a life uh, that is too ordinary. Uh, A life that is so basic and mundane. Clicker isn't working. Yes! It's one of my things. I'm always like, because I'm the production guy here, so I make sure it all works. And it's kind of ironic that it's not working for me right now. Amish technology, yeah, exactly. Uh, there we go. All right, so I have this fear um, where I, I'm going to live a life that's too, too ordinary. And, it, and it's, it's one of these things where um, it, it keeps me awake at night as I an- analyze myself, being like, am I doing the things I'm supposed to do? Am I, or am I just living a, a really basic life? I mean, look at me. I'm, not, I'm nothing special. Oh, that was the intended response, but... Uh, um, but I mean, I mean, look at me. Look at me as a kid growing up. I mean, oh, thank you. Um, I, I don't know what happened around year five. I, I kind of went full 90s on that one. Um, and I, it's, a, it's a shame that the screen's a bit dark because in, in that final picture over there, I had some sweet, uh, supposed to be blonde, but orange tips slicked back like Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, no, I'm not trying to say anything. I just realized the guy on the front row has blonde tips. But I, um, I, have, I have this fear of, of going through life and it, it not having any impact, it, it, not, it not meaning anything. Uh, I, I want it to be extraordinary. And I don't, know, I don't know if you're like me in any way with this, uh, but I have this constant tension to not go uh, through life in an, in an ordinary fashion. But I'm regularly perplexed as how to, to not do that. I mean, I'm only 28 already, and I'm already thinking like this, so something's gone a bit wrong. But um, to the best of my ability, I, I try to avoid that kind of ordinary life set of traps. The whole, you're born, you go to school, you leave school, you meet that girl, you get married, you have kids. I don't know why I'm going back along this way. It's kind of going down again. You have kids. The kids have kids. Back here, you're supposed to buy a house. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you buy a house here. And then you retire, and then you, you die. That ordinary kind of life cycle. I don't, I don't want that to be the sole story of my life. I don't want to be Bernie Cowan, the ordinary guy who went through all the motions of life and then died. That's, that's not what I want it to be. But at the same time, that doesn't mean I go out and do radical, crazy things just for the sake of it. Just for it to spice things up a little bit. I'm not that kind of person. I'm too calculated in trying to figure things out the entire time. But what it does mean is I want to be doing the things that, I, that God wants me to do, to be making the decisions that I feel like God wants me to make. And that's what keeps me up at night. Asking myself those questions, am I going the right way? Am I, am I, am I doing anything right at all? Over the last few weeks, as we've gone through these different stories of these different people, it can be very easy to be like, wow, that's amazing, that's great for them. That's amazing and epic that they were able to do that, but I'm, I'm just ordinary. I'm just 
just little little me. Not, I can't I can't do that. I can't I can't do anything like that. How many of us, when asked, "Oh, tell us your testimony," or share about share about how you became a Christian, is like, "Oh, well, actually, I just grew up in a Christian family, and so nothing really happened." We have this weird thing where we kind of crave the testimony of uh, the drug dealer turned believer in a radical conversion, or uh, the person who was on the edge of death and they met Jesus in a, in a, in a vision. He came down and, and met them in that. We, we kind of, as, as ordinary people, we kind of want those kind of radical testimonies. But what if God actually wanted to take what we perceived as our ordinary life and injected himself into it to make it extraordinary? Tonight, we're, we're looking at a man, we're going to be talking about a guy who, for the most part, for everything, if God hadn't interrupted his life, his life could have been very, very ordinary. Take a look at this clip. If we were to follow the footsteps of an ordinary man who had one day been dramatically changed by an extraordinary God, would we believe those steps would journey from the rolling fields of North Carolina to the steps of the White House and beyond? I just felt God was speaking to me. And he said, I want to use you. And I said, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go and I'll be what you want me to be. I'm yours. Christ belongs to all people. He belongs to the whole world. His gospel is for everyone, whoever you are. He's one of the great evangelists of our nation's history. His crusades are legendary. The size of his crowds were magnificent throughout the years. Uh, because of uh, the message and because of the messenger. That's the beauty and the greatness and the thrill of God's love. The kind of person that a person in my position wants to know. While preaching to millions around the world, Billy Graham found himself being called upon many times as God's ambassador to world leaders. As I look back over my life, it's full of surprises. I never thought I would become friends with people in different countries all over the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I want us to look at the cross tonight. I see how God's hand guided me. When I began preaching many years ago, it was not with any thoughts that I'd be preaching to large audiences. God has done this. Christ is alive. Our country is in great need of a spiritual awakening. Well, there have been times that I've wept as I've gone from city to city and I've seen how far people have wandered from God. Of all the things that I've seen and heard, there's only one message that can change people's lives and hearts. There is a way if you come by the way of the cross. The cross, the cross. I want to tell people about the meaning of the cross. Not the cross that hangs on a wall or around someone's neck. We receive our freedom purchased by the ransom at the cross. But the real cross of Christ the cross expresses the great love of God for man. It's scarred and blood-stained. 
His was a rugged crawl. His real purpose for coming was to die. I know that many will react to this message, but it is the truth. And with all my heart, I want to leave you with the truth. God says, I love you. I love you. I love you with an everlasting love. And he loves you, willing to forgive you of all your sins. Reverend William Billy Graham's untiring evangelism has spread the word of God to every corner of the globe and made him one of the most inspirational spiritual leaders of the 20th century. I think it's through him that I found myself praying even more than a daily basis to give me the wisdom to make decisions that would serve God and be pleasing to him. Billy Graham, the man, the preacher, the humble farmer's son who helped change the world is a spiritual gift to all of us. Who is this unique person that comes across the pages of history? Who is this Jesus Christ? He's had many opportunities over the years to do other things that he turned down because God had called him to a higher calling. And that was to be an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ and to take the gospel to literally the ends of the earth. So tonight we're we're talking, of course, about Billy Graham. Uh, as you can, you get a sense from that that clip. He's lived quite the extraordinary life. He's an extra, extraordinary extraordinary person. Um, so what I want to what I want to do for the next part of this is kind of run through what led him, how this happened for Billy. So William Franklin Graham Jr. was born on November seventh, nineteen eighteen in Charlotte, North Carolina, to parents William and Maura Graham. Billy Graham was the first of four children raised on the family's dairy farm in Charlotte. While Graham's parents were strict Calvinists and would take the family to church and uh, read scriptures every single day and pray with them every mealtime, it would actually be an unfamiliar traveling evangelist that would actually be the one who sets Graham on his spiritual path. In the local town, there was a hall built that could hold 5,000 people and regularly there would be traveling evangelists who would come and hold meetings for weeks at a time. It was a very common thing for that time. Initially, Graham had no interest in these meetings. He said it sounded like a circus to him. But at the age of 16, invited by some friends, Graham attended a series of revival meetings run by evangelist Mordecai Ham. Despite the fact that Graham was a, a well-behaved adolescent, Ham's sermons on sin spoke to, to the young Graham. He felt like Ham was speaking directly to him. And at the call to respond, Graham went forward and gave his life to Christ. From this point on, Billy Graham's life would never be the same again. That night in his room, he felt God speak to him, asking uh, to be able to use Billy. He replied to God, I don't know what's going on with all this, but Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be what you want me to be. I'm yours. Inspired by this and feeling a strong sense of call, after high school, Graham moved to Tennessee to enroll in the conservative Christian school, Bob Jones College. However, he felt disconnected from the school's rigid doctrine, feeling that it was too legalistic, as well as being told by the school's leader that he was a failure and would never achieve anything. 
after just one semester, he promptly transferred from there to the Florida Bible Institute. Just as a pause in that, imagine you're called by God to be used by him. You feel strongly that you're going to be a preacher. And so you're like, all right, I'm going to go do training to be a preacher. First semester, hey man, this is not for you. But, um, but God said, no nah, man, it's, it's, it's not for you. This moment could have been the end for Graham. Instead, he pushed through. He persevered, clinging to that sense of call. And what he found is that when he transferred to this new school, he thrived and his, uh, was able to develop his preaching skills further under the right tutorage. Students would actually witness Graham out in the forest, standing on tree stumps, preaching to trees, imagining they were members of his congregation, and he would passionately preach full sermons to these trees. Yes, he was that weirdo on campus. It was also during this time that he wrestled and, and, and looked into the scriptures. He, he wrestled with the passages, talked with his tutors and his lecturers, trying to get his head around all these things. And it was only through this process that he, became, he was able to accept the whole scripture as truth, which would then, of course, set him up for what was to come. As another side point, a lot of us think that when God reaches out and grabs hold of us and throws us into a new line of life, we think everything's going to come together just like that. But what we see with Graham's life here is actually there is a time of growth. There is a time of learning. Yes, you've got to take the risk, you've got to take the step and be like, yeah, God used me, but sometimes, and sometimes they can be longer than what we expect, time of growth, a time of development to prepare you for whatever it is you're called to. Nevertheless, at 18, 18, he began preaching every single night at his school. Hundreds of people would come from all across the place to come and hear Billy Graham preach. A few years later, after graduating from Wheaton College in Chicago and being ordained as a Baptist pastor, whoo, Baptists, um, Graham served briefly as a pastor at the First Baptist Church in Western Springs, Illinois. This would be his first and, and only pastoral position in his entire ministry life. While there, he took over a radio show called Songs in the Night, where he would speak, give a message, as well as there being hymns sung and things, and it would be broadcast all across the country. What happened is that this opened up doors for him to go and speak at different churches. Pastors would invite him to come and hold meetings. As he was pulled further and further and more and more away from his work at Western Springs, he felt that he needed to transition from being pastor to traveling evangelist. Upon resigning from his pastoral role in 1944, after being there for only 18 months, he was hired as the first full-time evangelist of the new YFC, aka Youth for Christ, an international ministry dedicated to reaching young people all around the globe, including New Zealand, where there was a strong strong movement here. still is today as well. When Graham started with them, one of the first trips they did was to Europe to meet the young U.S. Army soldiers who were still reeling from the end of the war. The war had only ended, World War II, had only ended the previous year, and what they arrived to in that country was a country desperate. Desperate not only for physical nourishment, but also for spiritual nourishment as well. So Every opportunity they could, whether it be a, a cinema hall or a, a town park, they would get up and they would preach, gathering people in and sharing about the good news of Jesus Christ. Returning from Europe, Graham scheduled a series of revival meetings in Los Angeles in 1949, for which he erected circus tents in a parking lot. Before these meetings were to take place, Graham and his associates 
took time away to plan in which they plan a way in which they could avoid the scandals of the time. For they had seen many other evangelists, other traveling evangelists, fall away or get consumed with scandal, thus ending their ministry. Together, they came up with four rules that would then dictate the rest of their ministry careers. Remember, this is 1949. The first was money. Never ask the congregation for money. Never try and swindle money out of the congregation. And all finances we do have are to be held accountable and watched and moderated and things. That was the first one. Second one, never be alone with another female who isn't your wife. This would avoid us leading any kind of scandal, there being any kind of scandal that leaks to the media. Three, never be critical of local pastors or churches, regardless of their opinion of what's going on here. Four, never exaggerate our own successes. They relied fully on what the authorities would tell them is for the numbers, for the attendance, for the different events that they ran. They never went around broadcasting, hey, we got this many people. They never said that. They always relied on external authorities to tell them how many people had actually come to their events. Side point, if you're looking at doing any kind of long-term ministry, these are some good points. They will help. Um, the LA Crusade got off to a good start, with ample crowds showing up every night to hear Billy speak. Though after three weeks of, of meetings, the crowds began to thin, with Graham arriving one night thinking they'd have to cancel the whole thing. That night, he was met with a crowd of thousands. Reporters everywhere taking his photo and writing reports on the event. Perplexed by this giant turn in attendance, Graham pulled aside one of the reporters and asked him, what, what's happened? What's going on? William Randall Hurst, owner and leader of a major conservative media outlet in America, had come to one of Billy's meetings a few nights earlier and had sent out a memo to all his different media outlets, newspapers, television, broadcasting, radio kind of thing, saying, hey, you need to push what's going on here because it's special and it, it needs to be heard across America. So through this connection, through this guy coming to a, one of Billy's messages, instantly Billy Graham becomes a national figure. And for the rest of his, his ministry career, his, his uh, crusades and outreaches are broadcasted all around the world and covered by magazines. Since he began his ministry in 1947, Billy Graham has conducted more than 400 crusades in 185 countries and territories. In particular, Graham had crusades in London, which lasted 12 weeks, and a New York City crusade in Madison Square Garden in 1957, which lasted 16 weeks. Just for reference point, Madison Square Garden is where a lot of artists do a lot of big tours and a lot of big shows. And normally they book out a few weeks to do back-to-back -back shows and kind of thing. Say if it was a, like a leading band, say like maybe Taylor Swift or if Led Zeppelin was still alive, Led Zeppelin did a show, they'd probably do about seven weeks. Graham did 16. He would rent a large venue such as a stadium, a park, or a street. And as the sessions became larger, he arranged a group of up to 5,000 people to sing in a choir. So, imagine you come into a service, 5,000 people are in front of you, they begin to sing. That's the start of the service. After the singing is done, Graham comes out and he preaches. And then at the end, he invites people to respond. That is a night at a Billy Graham crusade. It is a lot of people. 
Of course, like his life so long, his ministry so long, there are a number of different things he has done. I just wanted to highlight a few as we go through. He has been involved in the civil rights movement, even bailing Martin Luther King Jr. out of prison. He publicly declared that all his crusades would be integrated as Christ belongs to all people. Radical, radical thing at the time he did that. He's sat in the presence of presidents and world leaders, offering his insights and advice to them. You saw that in that opening video of him sitting with George Bush, junior and senior. Nixon and all, and all of them. He's been sitting with them and sharing with them. He, during the Cold War, Graham became the first evangelist of note to speak behind the Iron Curtain, addressing large crowds in countries throughout Eastern Europe and in the Soviet Union calling for peace. During the apartheid era, era Graham consistently refused to visit South Africa until its government allowed integrated seating for all audiences. Graham also corresponded with imprisoned South African leader Nelson Mandela during the latter's 27-year-long imprisonment. On October 15, 1989, Graham received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Graham was the only minister functioning in that capacity to receive one. On the 14th of September, 2001, in the aftermath of the September 11 attacks, Graham was invited to lead a service at Washington National Cathedral which was attended by President George W. Bush, as well as other past and present leaders. This next picture I'm about to show you comes to us from South Korea. In 1973, an estimated 3.2 million people attended a Billy Graham crusade over four days, with 1.1 million people traveling mostly by foot to the last final service. Over the course of this, these four days, 75,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. Fifty-five years of ministry. It's a lot to take in. Next month, Billy Graham turns 99. He's, he's still alive. In that video I showed you when he was speaking, he was 95. And those suffering from Alzheimer's, he's still just as passionate about Jesus and about what Jesus did on the cross as when he was when he began. I'm, you can't help but be inspired by this man. I am, I am inspired by this guy. I mean, as, as a person who's seen prominent Christians come and go, people who rise and have influence but then are crushed from scandal, it seems like the most prominent Christian should do fall, right? But he hasn't. How? Long, longevity. He's, offered, he's been offered a number of different opportunities throughout his entire ministry career. Some of them worth millions. But he never went down that road. He never went down that kind of celebrity status, even though his crusades were highly publicized. What he was saying was popular. Companies were wanting him to share on their networks. And he said, no, I, I'm not going to go down that celebrity status. I'm going to stay and do what God has called me to do. I'm going to be God's ambassador here on earth. He never surrendered, and he's been committed to his call all his life. One of the most things that blows my mind is that Billy Graham's message throughout the majority of his career has never changed. He's been preaching around John 3.16 almost the entire time he's done these crusades. It makes me want to rethink the entire way I write my sermons. 
Because as, 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 as someone who gets up and tries to speak, you kind of think, okay, what's going to be the hook? What's going to be the thing that people are going to laugh at? What's going to be the thing that makes people feel emotional? And then what's going to be the end game? Whereas Graham's just like, uh, John 3.16, we'll do that. Of course, there's a whole bigger thing, and like he needed to do all the study and stuff like that, but it, it just it blows my mind that he would go out there and declare John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that all who believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. And he preached that for 55 years to over, I have the number somewhere, over 215 million people. That's insane. So he's, in over 55 years of ministry, Billy Graham has reached, preached the gospel message to more than 215 million people in over 185 countries all around the world. His uh, association, uh, the people who carry on his good works, which he founded in 1950, reaches out to millions uh, more each year through radio and television broadcasts, films, literature, and training. Some of the sermons that they actually captured uh, from that period of time still actually air today and are still touching the lives uh, of people today. But how did this happen? How did this ordinary farmer's boy who didn't even like listening to the prayers and the scriptures that his parents read to him each day, who was kind of like, oh, I don't want to go and get involved with that circus down the road. How did he, how did he end up like this? It blows our ideas of what an ordinary Christian life could be to pieces. It, it, God being active through him is what has made him extraordinary. It's never been about him. It's never been about his, his own strategy. It's been about him saying, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be what you want me to be. I'm yours. I look out tonight and I see a number of people who probably think of themselves as, as, as ordinary or as average. Maybe, it, maybe it's time for us to say to God that I'm yours. Use me too. Maybe it's time to surrender your ordinary life as you perceive it and allow God to come and inject something extra so that it transforms it with his power. It might not be easy. You might have to change your lifestyle or your country. It might require you to study something you never thought you would have to study. It might mean that you need to humble yourself, give up your rights, and allow God to take the reins. I know if we were to do that, if, if we were to surrender our plans to God and say, I'm yours, use me, who knows what could happen. The next Billy Graham could be sitting in this room tonight. The next Joseph Doak, the next Francis of Assisi, the next Craig Vernal, the next person that God needs to make an impact in this world for his glory could be sitting in the pew next to you, or it could be Now, I've, I've fought this fear of an ordinary life for a long time. When I was 15, I remember sitting in the pews at church, and I turned to my friend who was sitting next to me and said, hey, if I'm still here, sitting in this pew, doing this in 10 years' time, I want you to pick me up and kick me out of here. I can't, I can't have that. I don't want to be that. Since then, in that 13 years since I said that to my friend, everything has changed for me. The only thing that has remained the same are these shoes that I was wearing at the same time then. My foot size has not changed. But in that 13 years, God has taken me into schools to share about Jesus. He's put me on stage as a pastor to share about his kindness. He's broken me down and made me weep like a baby for those who don't know him. 
I've sat alongside international and local artists and listened to their stories of absolute brokenness. He's taken me far away from home to foreign places and asked me to stand up for him, to pray for the stranger, to feed the hungry and love the unloved all across the world. He's led me into situations where people have screamed at me, have sworn at me, threatened to hurt me. But he's given me 13 years of memories that I'll never forget and have shaped me into the person that stands before you tonight. And I don't say these things to blow my own horn or anything. It's not about me. If it, if it ever became that egocentric, I'd ask God to take me out of this so I can get myself set straight, back on track and focused. I say these two things for two reasons. The first is because I'm constantly amazed that our Creator God, massive and powerful that He is, would choose to use us, these fragile, messed up little human beings who make so many mistakes. He uses us to bring Him glory. And the second reason I say these things is because I need you to understand the cost of saying, I'm yours, use me. He wants to use you. In his eyes, you are not ordinary. In, your, in his eyes, you are not plain. In his eyes, you are the only you, and he wants to use you. If I could invite the band to come out in a second, I'm going to pray. But before I do, there are people here whose hearts are racing because they feel like every single word I've said tonight has been directed straight there. Just like when Billy Graham was sitting at that Mordecai Ham sermon and, and he was preaching and just, everything was just hitting him right in here. You know that God's been asking you to do something, asking you to, to use you, just like he asked Billy Graham, tonight is your time to say, yes, Lord, I am, I'm yours, use me. Whatever that means, whatever that is you're, you're responding to, it could be accepting Jesus for the very first time, or it could be saying, yes, I will go to Africa. It could be, yes, I will move to that neighborhood that you've put on my heart, because I know they're not as fortunate as I am, and I can be a light there. Or it's saying, yeah, I'm going to take that career change and use this, this talent you've given me so that I can, I can help people. I can help share about you in these different places. Or it could be like, yeah, I, I, I will stand up. I will use my voice to speak into issues, to bring truth to light. If that's you, Tonight, if that's you, if, if you feel God is asking you to do something, whatever it is, and there are so many different ways God asks us to be used, and He's desperate for us to say yes, He's desperate for us to engage with Him, would you, would you stand and would you raise your hands like this? Because when you do this, it's the ultimate sign of surrender. It's like a toddler reaching for his dad. Say, I'm yours. I love being yours. Take me, lead me, and I will go where you go. So if that's you tonight, if you feel God is asking you, and maybe we can kill the house lights, just to make this a bit less awkward for some people. If that's you and you feel like God is asking you to do something, whatever it is, whether it's the small thing or the big thing, 
whether it's even surrendering, hey, I don't want to carry this my own mountain anymore, just like Caleb was praying about at the start of the service. Or it's saying, I really need you. I really need your help. Would you stand with me and lift up your hands and reach out for the creator of the universe that loves you and cares for you so much. It is he's desperate to have you. Desperate to do this life with you. And he will never abandon. He will never forget you or forsake you. He will be with you to the end of your life. If that's one thing I see out of Billy Graham's life, is that it's a life where God has never said no to him. He's never said, I'm, I'm not going to go with you to that place. I'm not going to go with you there. It's a life where God has said again and again, I will go with you. I will use you. I will use your voice. And he says that same thing to us here tonight. We do not have to go into tomorrow alone. We do not have to go into whatever the next decision is alone. God is here. And he wants to meet with you right now in this very moment. So I'm going to pray. And if that's you, and in, 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 in your heart, and or out loud, whatever you want to do, you just say, Jesus, I'm, I'm yours. Use me. Jesus, I am yours. I don't know where you're going to take me or what you're going to do with me, but I am yours, and I want you to use me. Father God, I, I thank you so much for each and every single person that is here in this room tonight, Lord. The people that are hearing these words, whether it be here or uh, through the magic of Facebook Live at home, Lord Jesus. I just pray that you draw so close to each and every single person right now, Lord. May we catch a glimpse of how you see us and the potential you have for each and every single person. The way you can use us to bring light into this world. The way you can use us to live a life that is extraordinary. Jesus, I thank you for these, these brave people who are raising their hands to you right now, Lord, who are surrendering and saying, yes, I, I just want you, I'm yours. Holy Spirit, come and follow those people right now. Refresh them, guide them, lead them through the tough, through the, through the great. And Lord, it's so timely that we're going to be finishing with the song, Do It Again, because Lord, you have not, in my 28 years of life, you have not failed me yet. And I know for a fact, you will not fail any single person here in this room tonight. You will never give up. You will never surrender. You will always be with us. No matter what. And Lord, for that I am truly and utterly thankful and amazed by you. In your name I pray. Amen. If you're one of those people who raised your hands and you would like prayer about a specific thing, uh, the front is, is open here if you would like to come. But if you want to sit and bask in God's presence through worship that's totally cool too we just want to open up so you can do whatever you need to do with God and say whatever you need to say with God whatever that looks like for you I invite you to take the time now and do it as the band sings this final song